have your Bibles today, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 in Matthew 28. We're going to go back there today. We started a series, uh, and I'm going to be messing around a little bit with the title uh, today, but we started a series uh, last week called The Church Revived. Everyone say revived. And I believe that God has led us into a season where we are reviving some things, and God is reviving some things at Life Church. And, and one of the things I believe he has called us to revive, everyone say revive. revive. He's led us to revive our purpose and our mission and our vision for Life Church. And I've been the pastor now for uh, over a year. It's coming up on a year, year and a half, and I believe God has given us a clear direction Moving forward next week, you're not going to want to miss out. We're going to be talking about where we are going uh, as a church, what God has planned for us in the future. I believe God has put it in my spirit, on my heart. We're going to be planting churches. We're going to be starting new churches. We're going to be sending people out to start churches. There's going to be, there are church planners that are in the room right now. There are missionaries in the room right now. Some of you don't even realize you are yet. But God's, God knows, and God's going to use you to do great things. And so we're going to talk about some of those things next week. So I encourage you to come out. Then the week after that, I uh, didn't mean to have so many announcements, but, but here we are. Uh, Brother Joshua Moreno is going to be with us, missionary to Greece. He's from Southern California. He's been here before. We uh, support him as one of our missionaries, partners in missions. You're going to want to be a part of that. That's the week after uh, next, I believe, April the 10th. So put it on your calendar. And then, of course, we're just a few short weeks away from the biggest day of the year, Easter Sunday. It's a, the time we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're going to be hearing news about that next week, what the plan is for our church service. I want you to start inviting people now, your friends, your loved ones. We're going to have a wonderful time, Easter egg hunts, bounce houses, all that for the kids, and we're going to have an awesome church service as well. Amen? Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. The Bible says he is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Unless that becomes confusing for us, he goes on to explain what he means by firstborn. Verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, what you can see, and invisible, what you can't see, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Watch what it says next. All things were created through him and for him. Say it with me, for him. Say it again, for him. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. This is what it means by when it says the firstborn over all creation, meaning that he takes preeminence, he takes precedent over all things, before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things, everyone say all things. all things, he may have the preeminence. Today, 
I'm going to preach to you about the mission of our church, the vision of our church, the purpose of our church, Christ-centered, commission-driven. Christ-centered and commission-driven. Last week I mentioned that the mission of the church has not changed. In fact, it can't change because the mission of the church is the commission of the church. That is to say the Great Commission. We read about it in Matthew 28. I mentioned it just a moment ago. No, we, we don't really need to go back and read right now. But he says that to go into all the world and make disciples. This is the mission of the church. There's no way to get around that. That's always going to be the mission of the church. If the church ever gets away from that one focus of making disciples, then it's lost its way. No, I didn't say the church can't do anything else. No, you can, we can do a lot of things as a church. There's a lot of things that are helpful to a community. There's a lot of things that are helpful for families. There's a lot of things that are helpful for marriages and finances. There's a lot of things the church can be involved in. But the center focus, the thing that must drive the church, that must, the church must be focused on is very simple. It's making disciples. That's what it's all about. That's its mission. Now, but to get to that point, as I mentioned that last week, we have to understand what does a disciple look like, especially in 2022? What does it look like now in our time, in our day? The first thing I would tell you that we are going to strive to do, we are going to make disciples, but in our effort to make disciples, the number one thing we have to do is glorify God. It's the purpose of every true believer and every true church is to bring glory, ultimately to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, come along with me. If not, it will be on the screen. The Bible says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. I like that word whatever in the Bible. What do I do for God? Whatever. Where do I serve in ministry? Whatever. What am I supposed to be called to? Whatever. Just do something. You know, I read in the Bible so many times, whatever your hands find to do, whatever you choose to serve the Lord. Well, I don't know if I'm called to that. It's amazing. No one's ever called to clean up the restrooms. Am I right? No one ever gets a burden to mow the lawn, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I haven't, I haven't, God hasn't spoke to me about that ministry yet. Well, the Bible does clearly say, whatever you do. Later, another passage, it says, whatever your hands find to do, do all to the glory of God. In other words, whatever you find yourself doing, make sure you are doing it for the glory of God, not the glory of yourself, not the glory of others, not the glory of this world. No, for the glory of God. 1 Peter 4, 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do, do it as with the ability which God supplies. In other words, not by your own might, ability, strength, or power. No, the supply that comes from God. That in all things, everyone say all things, all things. God may be glorified. 
I don't know about you, but I want God to get the glory from every part of my life. Whether successful at work or at school, it is all the glory of God. No matter if I'm successful in my retirement, no matter if I'm successful making sales, no matter if I'm successful in my relationships, it all goes to the glory of God. Are you with me this morning? We need to have a renewal as a church and a people of God that we are constantly pointing people back to God and his goodness. God and how great he's been. God and how awesome he is. Not about us, but about him. Getting us out of the way and letting God be God. Let God get all the credit. Let God get all the glory. Let God get all the honor. But see, this is, this is difficult in 2022 because we live in a self-centered world. We've lost the meaning of it, what it means to be Christ-centered. We're self-centered. Do what's good for us, what feels right for us. Do you, boo. That's what they say, right? I'm just going to do what makes me happy. Someone said this the other day. I'm just going I'm, I'm to do what I enjoy, what makes me happy. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to be true to yourself. Well, I've seen all these. You've seen all these catchphrases too. It, it's, it's inundated in our culture to be true to you and be yourself and, and all this stuff. What does that mean though? It's a, it's a culture that is centered on themselves. But God didn't design us that way. God designed us to what? Bring glory back to him and point back to him. Psalm 115 says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name. Give glory. See, this was Satan's problem. This is the same enemy that's at work in the world today. It's the same spirit that was in Satan. It's at work in our world, that self-centeredness. Satan's problem was not that he tried to overthrow God. He didn't try to, to somehow uh, uh, topple his, the regime of God or something like this. That was never Satan's problem. No, the Bible says that he just wanted to be like God. Everyone say like God. What does that mean? It means he just wanted a share of the glory. Not even all of it. He wasn't silly enough to think somehow he could replace God. He knew he couldn't do that. He, this is the most high. He understood. But somehow if he could just get a little bit of the credit, just a little bit of the recognition, a few of the accolades, a few of the someone, hey, can you notice me? And in 2022, we need to make it clear to everyone around and especially to ourselves that we do not want any share in the glory of God. All the glory belongs to God for my life, uh, for my sanity. It all belongs to God. It's as David said, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, if it hadn't been for God, I'd have been overwhelmed by the, the waves would have overtaken me. I would have been destroyed. All the glory belongs to God. We as a people have to hold on to this notion that Paul says in Corinthians that no 
flesh will glory in his presence. Somehow we have to recognize, God, if I ever, if, if someone ever points to me and says, oh, man, you did a really good job at X, Y, or Z. Man, you really sounded good, really preached good, really played a piano good. You really did well at this or that. You need to be careful and say, whoa, I, I thank you for the compliment, but God is good to me. God's been so good, and it all belongs to him. You don't even know who I am or where I came from from if you would have known what you what God brought me out of what he did in my life uh, you'd be looking at me saying man that's crazy but God be the glory because I'm not where I used to be someone say amen oh praise God I just feel like we need a reminder today a revival of giving God the glory you didn't make the sale. God gave it to you. God could have dried up those resources anytime he wanted to. It wasn't your own intellect or own ability, your own knowledge and experience. Where you said, wait a minute, Pastor, I, I studied a long time. I put the work in. I, yes, you did. You did the work. But just like Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea, you did everything you could do. And he said, when you've done all you can do to stand in Ephesians, that's when you're supposed to just stand. And if you're not careful, you can think that you can split the Red Sea yourself. What Moses recognized, oh my, and perhaps was his ultimate downfall when we see him striking the rock twice. His ultimate downfall probably more than likely was somehow he made it happen. And can you blame him, his flesh? I mean, think about it. I told you this before, but think about Moses. Up until Moses, we had never seen God use a human being to do miracles, signs, and wonders. You realize that? Up until Moses, it had never happened before. He was the first one we see. And over here, he's, he's turning his rod to a snake. He's turning water to blood. He's parting the Red Sea. And for the people, all they can see is the man of God standing in front of them, leading the way, and the miracles start happening. So you got to be careful when God starts using you. You start thinking it's you. You start thinking it's more you than it is God. If you don't give God his proper glory, you're going to end up in the same place as Moses. Watch what happened to Moses. God tells him, all right, Moses, the people need water. I want you to speak to the rock. The Bible says he got angry. He hits the rock. No water comes out. He disobeyed the voice of God. But you know what he did? The Bible says he got angry and hit the rock again. And guess what happened? Water came out. You see, sometimes God has given us ability and talent where we can make things happen. And if we're not careful, we can confuse what we make happen as God blessing us. You go into work and you're doing a good job. You're like, oh, man, God really did it today. Maybe or maybe you did that. And you're way off in left field and God's like, all right, you wanted to do it. You're on your own. And some of you know what it's like when God says you're on your own. You start flying for a little bit, but kind of like a kite without the string, you're not going to stay up for very long. 
You ever seen a kite on a string when you cut it? What happens when you cut it? You say, oh, it falls. Not right away, does it? No, the wind takes it. It goes up. If you're not careful, it almost looks like that string was holding the kite back. Like, oh, man, if somehow uh, I could just loose myself from the burden of this string of all these requirements in the Bible. I mean, why can't I just do what everyone else is doing? It's Sunday afternoon. It's so I could be bar. Why can't I just do what everyone else is doing? And so you think by unshackling and unburdening yourself from that weight of a string that somehow you're going to be able to soar and fly. And somehow I got this on my own. I'm, I'm good. But just like that kite, you might survive for a little bit. It might, you might even watch what happens. You might even go a little bit higher than you were before. You might even be a little more successful, but now you got nothing tethering you to the ground. You got nothing securing you. You got nothing as a balance to your life, and your foundation is gone. That, that weight that it held you down, that, that thing that you thought was holding you back. Young people, you hear me right now. You think the rules your parents are setting down for you to live by is holding you back. Friend, that's the thing that is holding you up. You take away the string, and just like that kite, you're going to come falling down. Maybe not right away. Because the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. So you might go through a season, well, hey, you're flying high. I got no strings attached. I'm flying high. I'm I'm an adult now. I'm cool now. Got my own car. Mom can't tell me nothing. I paid for it. I know moms and dads are excited about that, but we do it too. Sure we do. I got, I got my own thing going, and I, I know that church is there for me, but I'm doing just fine. And we, we think we're all right, and we start flying away, and we're disattached from, from our word and our prayer, and we think we're good. But then all of a sudden, life hits us right in the face. Pow! And you got nothing to hold on to. You haven't talked to God in weeks, months, and years. You, you haven't felt the presence of God. You don't even know how to find your way back. You want to know why the church is here? One of the reasons we are here is to make sure people can find their way back. Because there are moments, hear me right now, there are moments in prayer where you're not going to be able to feel God. But you know there's someone that knows how to touch God. And I remember, oh, I remember... I remember what it was like when that sister prayed for me. I remember when the pastor preached. I I remember when the worship team was leading us. I remember what I felt. And so what they do is I can't feel God at home, so I need to make sure I get back to the house of God where I can feel God. That's why there's always got to be a church. That's why the lights have to be on at church in every single city so that people can find their way back home. Back home. If you're not careful, somehow you start thinking that you chose God. No, friend, God chose you. You didn't find God. God found you. You didn't stumble across this truth. No, no, no. God has been pulling. No man cometh to the Father lest the Spirit draws him. You didn't just happen to come on a Sunday afternoon because someone invited you. No, God's been drawing you to this place. 
He's been trying to get your attention. And when God brings you out of that mess that you're in, and I'm telling you, he can bring you out of that mess. No matter what you're going through, you're in the right place. Uh, your first response should be, God, I give you all of the glory. Someone say amen. And the purpose of our church will always be to glorify God. Why? Because the church isn't a business. Our worship isn't a concert. I'm not giving a lecture or a speech. It's all to the glory of God. You know what goes on at a concert? Well, a lot of things go on at a concert. Walked into that one, I suppose. No, but you can tell the difference between a worship service and a concert. One is focused on God, the other is focused on the platform. We have to be careful that our music, our worship team, Pastor Ivan, it doesn't belong. It's not a concert. We, we have, you know, music, and I thank God for the music, and we do our best to make it relevant and appealing to every uh, different, different groups of people. And there'll be times we sing some old songs and some new songs, but one thing we must always do is make sure it brings glory to God. Not glory to the flesh. Not glory to ourselves, not, not, our, not our will, not our name. No, God, to your name. Yes. Not, not to me, God, to you. And when, let me talk to the music team. When you guys get up here, you need to be prayed up. You hear me? You need to be prayerful. When, you, when you're leading someone into the presence and uh, the, the throne room of God, you need to have a, a solemn perspective that we are getting ready to honor God, not honor ourselves. And when we walk into service, I've been to church services, thank God, not, not here, but I've been to church services when people go to worship, and it's like they're just trying to be seen, you know, yelling, screaming, hollering. There's nothing wrong with yelling, screaming, hollering, but it's like you can tell the difference, you know what I'm saying, where somehow they want to make sure, hey, I'm here worshiping God. I'm doing my thing, you know, and don't get in my circle because I'm getting ready to get down right now. No, all the glory belongs to God. We don't, we don't do it to be seen. We don't do it to be heard. We do it so he can be seen. We do it so he can be heard. We do it so that his kingdom is moving forward. Someone say amen. So how do we know that we are bringing glory to God? There's two things I'm going to talk about today. And then next week, we're going to talk about the third, the third line of this mission. We exist to bring glory to God. And to make disciples, make disciples that are bringing the glory to God, that are totally Christ-centered. Everyone say Christ-centered. The Bible says, Matthew, in Matthew 22, verse 34, you have your Bibles, come with me if you would. Matthew 22, verse 34. This is the greatest commandment they asked Jesus which is the greatest commandment? Well, I'm, oh, here I am paraphrasing. Let me just read it. Matthew 22, I do that. I paraphrase, so I'm getting ready to read, and then I go and read it. It doesn't make any sense. We used to do that a lot for the, the King James language because you had to explain a lot of times what the words mean, you know. Verse 34, Matthew 22, the Bible says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, in other words, he confused the Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees were two groups of Jewish people, of two sects inside of the Jewish uh, people that had theological difference, but they basically agreed on much. 
And definitely they agreed on Jesus was not healthy for them, <laughs> for their philosophy and ideology. They gathered together in verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now I'm going to get to the second part because we, we, we know it. The, the next part is love your neighbor. But can I tell you the first way that you know you are glorifying God is when you love the Lord with everything. Notice what he said, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. In another place he says, all of your strength. This is everything that you are. You are loving God. This means with your finances, yes. With your body, yes. With your mind, yes. With your attitude, yes. Everything that you do, you say, you are, that everything you are glorifies God. In other words, that you live every single day to please the Lord, to make God happy. In other words, you keep Jesus at the center. Everyone say the center. At the center of everything. This is a true disciple. In the Old Testament, we see a picture of this. We see a picture of this. I'm going to ask Sister Sarah, the media team, to help me out. In the Old Testament, when Moses was coming out, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says that they took the Ark of the Covenant and they built a temple, they built a tabernacle. It wasn't just the Ark of the Covenant. There was the basins, the candlestick, the, everything that they needed to construct the house of God. It was a mobile church. How many of you knows about that? Praise God. <laughs> it, was a it was designed to be mobile. It was designed to move. In fact, God never even... Uh, I mean, I guess you might argue he planned it because he knows everything, but it wasn't his idea to actually have a temple. The temple later on was a fixed building, but the tabernacle was God's design. And he said, I'm going to give you this tabernacle, and you're going to build it. You're going to construct it. And when I tell you to move, you're going to pack it up. When I tell you to stop moving, you're going to set it up, and there you're going to stay until I say it's time to go again. But I didn't really come to talk about the tabernacle, but what's interesting about the tabernacle is that as you read through the book of Numbers and you read the law, it was strategically designed to be in the center of the camp. It was designed so that all the tribes of Israel would surround the tabernacle. That's interesting. The reason it was done, some might suggest that it was militarily reasons, that somehow for the military purposes, that if they were attacked, they would get to the tabernacle last. But that's actually, uh, I don't think that's actually the case. One of the reasons I don't think that's the case is because what they would have been protecting would have been the Ark of the Covenant. But when Israel went to war, they didn't leave the Ark of the Covenant back in the tabernacle. 
The Bible says they took the Ark of the Covenant with them to war. That tells me that it wasn't just to protect the tabernacle. No, the tribes were strategically placed because around the tabernacle and the, in the, in the uh, Ark of the Covenant, because it was the heart of their nation. It was the heart of their people. This is why the Bible talks about after the tabernacle and the temple had already been destroyed. The apostle Paul says he has a new temple not made with hands. And the spirit of God now dwells inside of this temple that's not made with hands. It is your body, Paul says. Do you not know that your bodies are now the temple of God? Because it's inside of that temple, inside of the tabernacle that existed the presence of God. And they wouldn't go anywhere without the presence of God with them. In other words, their entire life, look at, look at how it's set up. Go back to that other picture if you would. The entire nation was built around one thing, the presence of God. Can I tell you, the same thing applies for us today. Our entire life, our entire existence should center around one thing. It's the presence of God. He's more important than anything else. He comes before everything else, before the foundations of the world. He existed and he was. It's all about him and all through him and all for him. But one more thing on this tabernacle. It wasn't a strategic stance, as I mentioned before. Like the kite that would fly away, the soldiers and the nation of Israel understood that this holy place wasn't to be kept sacred because somehow they would, someone could get in and destroy it. No, no, no. But they understood it had to be kept sacred because it was the presence of God that was protecting them. The reason they brought that ark into war, it was a symbol of the presence of God going before them into battle. And they knew as long as we have the Lord with us, as long, he's, as, as, long as he is on our side, we can't lose. We're going to win. We're going to make it through. Just like the disciples in the boat, Jesus said, come on, we're going to the other side. As long as Jesus was in the boat they were getting to the other side and can I tell you this right now you as a family us as a church you as an individual as long as you have Jesus at the center of your life you're gonna make it you're gonna get through it God's gonna do what he wants to do in your life if you believe it lift your hands right now call unto the Lord Oh, Jesus. Jesus has to be at the center of everything. Without the Ark of the Covenant, without the tabernacle in the center of Israel, they would have been sitting ducks. They never would have made it. They would have fallen into any other pagan religion that was around. Absolutely, if it had not been for the presence of God, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, they would have been lost, overcome by the Egyptians. It was the fire of God that protected them against Pharaoh's armies. 
and it's going to be the fire of God that protects your family too. You say, do you really, you really believe that? I really believe that. You want the protection of God on your family? You need to start a fire in your home. That's that family altar. You need to teach your kids how to pray. You need to teach them how to touch God. You need to teach them how to get God's attention. Oh, I absolutely believe it. The same God of the Old Testament is present in the New Testament. God in flesh. He came to earth, robed himself of flesh, and walked among us. He's the same advocate that we have with the Father. And so when we have Jesus in our lives, the Holy Ghost is just a representation of what's going on in your life. But it doesn't make any sense to have the Holy Ghost on your heart and in your heart, but not in your home. Jesus has to be the center of everything. He said, I am the Lord, and beside me there is none other. But what do we do when we place other things in the same level as God? I'm not just talking about time. I'm talking about things that we value Things that we love, things that we want. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is, is, is that same response that the, the original 12, Peter, James, John, they gave to Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says Jesus came walking on the Sea of Galilee. It's an incredible moment to go to the Sea of Galilee. If you've never been, you need to go. The Bible says they were fishing. Jesus came and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. The Bible says they forsook everything they forsook all they left their nets they left their boats they left their they left everything for what to follow Jesus see a disciple is so centered on God he has Jesus she has Jesus at the center of everything nothing else in this world matters as much as Jesus you say, what does that mean? That we can't have a career? We can't have a, of course you can. But it means that you put Jesus at the center of your career. It means that sometimes you got to make some tough decisions when it costs you to follow after him. In other words, when something is trying to take priority over your relationship with God. If a friendship is, if you can't pray because you're hanging out with your friend too long, staying up too late, well, guess what? You need to get a new friend. If that job keeps you away from church and the people of God and you don't ever have any time to rest, well, guess what? You might need to get a new job or put in for a transfer or try to get this or that done. What am I saying? Because there's nothing more important than your relationship with God. There's nothing more important than keeping God at the center. A disciple brings glory to God and is Christ-centered. Everyone say Christ-centered. Second thing. Is a disciple is driven by the great commission. The second part of that commandment that Jesus says in verse 39 of Matthew 22. I got five minutes. I'm almost done. The Bible says in verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, he says, Hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I recognize love your neighbor is incredibly difficult when your neighbor doesn't love you. 
And it's even harder when it's not just a non-love, but when they hate you. You know, I've noticed something pretty uh, awful in our generation. It's that we're really divided as a country. But I've also noticed something else. The division is not just differences of opinion, but it's literally turned into a despising and a hatred for the other side. But let me tell you something. Just because our culture is like that, it doesn't change what Jesus said in the book. He said, oh, but you don't know how they talk about us. You know what they say to, about me at work. You know how they make me sound because I believe in this thing. Yeah, I know. But it doesn't change what he said. He said, love your neighbor. You know what else I'm seeing in this generation? I'm seeing a people that are trying to find greener pastures, as it were. The Bible says the fool, the eyes of the fool are always on the ends of the earth. In other words, it's greener over there. It's better over there. You don't know how many times I've heard people tell me, I've shared with this with you before. We came down to Southern California. They said, what are you going to Southern California for? Don't you know they're all Democrats down there? What are you doing? They're all this or that. You need to go to, you know, Texas. You'll be able to afford a house. You'll be able to do this or that. And I just stop and think, I think I've told you this before. Since when does the call of God have a political line? Hear me right now. The more our culture gets more political, the more we have to become more Christian. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor, not to leave your neighbor. I know I just made some enemies right there, I think. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And not only your neighbor. Oh, my. But he goes on to tell us to love those that hate you. Ay, ay, ay. So the ones that just are in, like, they don't, they don't even care about you, you got to love them. But also the ones that spitefully use you, the Bible says. The Bible says to even not just love them, but pray for them. Oh, my. Some of you are just trying to get them out of your head. Like, let me just forget about this person. I just don't even want to think about that. Every time you think of that lady, you get angry. Oh, Lord. I'm talking to some people right now. I'm talking to someone right now. You guys want me to be done, too. You're checking, like, what's the time say right there? I'm not done yet. Jesus said, Luke 10, 16, I believe it was. He said, I have sent you out as sheep among wolves. I'll never forget a few years ago at our general conference. Won't say his name, but the missionary to a Middle Eastern country. He preached a message called Sheep Amongst Wolves. He's one of the only Christians in a Muslim country trying to reach people, trying to have a church. Can't say who he was. We couldn't even broadcast the service. He wouldn't have been able to get back in. They probably would have uh, killed him and his family. Couldn't, couldn't make any announcement. 
I'll never forget the message. He said, we're, we're not called to be sheep amongst sheep. We're sheep amongst wolves. Now, I know it seems tempting. You know, you want to move into a, a city that people think like you, and they, they talk like you, and they, they have the same political leanings, and you agree on things. You want to rally together. But God called you to love your neighbor and to pray, to pray for those that spitefully use you the ones that hate you. God has called us to a higher standard and the commission can't go by the wayside just because our world is in a very unstable place right now. No, the commission has to be more solid now than ever before. Jesus' words aren't just relevant during the good times. Like, uh, you know, our neighbors that are cool or nice, those are the ones that we gotta love. No, no, no. A true disciple of Jesus Christ recognizes that he or she might be a sheep among wolves. He or or she might realize that people are going to hate them. Not just for any sake. The Bible says that they will despise you for my sake, Jesus said. You got to realize God has called us to make a difference in our generation. You're not going to be able to do that running away from it. No, you got to lean in and begin to pray for those people. Pray for those people that talk about you at work and, and, and spit at you, not literally, but with their words. You know what I'm talking about. Always got something crass to say. Always got something rude to say. You need to put them on your prayer list. You hear me? You need to put them on your prayer list. Say, God, I need you to step in and touch them. God can do it. God did it over uh, evil kings of the, of the Bible. God can do it over that person at work. <laughs> Talk about evil bosses. God can do it. <laughs> read, this, read the book of Daniel. God can do it. When you commit to prayer, God can change hearts and minds. And this is the commission. And this is something, notice what I said. We must be commission driven. Not just commission okay. Not just commission acceptable. Not just commission, uh, we're okay with that. No, it needs to drive us every single day. Why? Because hell is real and there are people that are lost. Oh my. Oh my. We have to be driven by it. What is it? The gospel. The commission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. A disciple is a disciple that is making disciples, that is constantly looking and loving his neighbor and making sure that every single person knows about Jesus. It's not our job to make them believe. It's our job to invite. It's our job to lead someone to water. Can't make them drink, but we can make sure they have every opportunity and every chance to get to the water. And as long as I'm the pastor, this will always be our mission. This will always be our goal. We're going to remain glorifying God. We're going to remain Christ-centered. And we're going to remain, remain commission-driven. It will drive us. Every single thing that we do will be to make God glorified in this earth. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Stand your feet, lift your hands in the air as high as you can get them. And I want you to begin to glorify God with your worship. Glorify God with your praise. Let him know how good he is, how good he's been to you. Come on, lift your voice.
Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, there's nobody like you. No one greater than you. You're the only hope for this generation. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, lift your voice just a little bit longer. Jesus, we love you today. Lord, we praise you today. God, we've come to honor your name today. To God be glorified. To God be glorified. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we bless your name today, God. Oh, Jesus, we bless your name, God. Revive us, Holy Ghost. Revive us, Holy Ghost. Revive us, Holy Ghost. Feel your presence here, God. We're so thankful for your presence. Oh, I can feel the Holy Ghost. Feel the Holy Ghost. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, you deserve all the glory. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the glory, God. You deserve all the glory, God. Right now, I'm going to open up the altar. If you want prayer today, maybe you've never received the Holy Ghost, you'd like to receive it today, I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe there's something going on in your life where you need God to step in and pray. In bad pain, Sister Paula. Okay, we're going to pray. Amen. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. If you need prayer today, we have Sister Paula.